Chapter 44 of The Grey Man. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeremiah Sutherland, Victoria, British Columbia. The Grey Man by S.R. Crockett. Chapter 44 The Murder on the Beach. Marjorie Kennedy rang out the last words like a trumpet. Not even the Earl's Herald could have been heard further. All men hear my tale before they judge, she went on. It was the morn before my father's death day. From my window in the house of Auchendrain I had seen this man and his father, with Thomas of Drummurky and Walter of Cloncaird, come and go all day with trappings and harness, because they knew that the time was nigh at hand for my father's riding to Edinburgh. It chanced that I was looking down through the bars of my prison-house, for there was little else to do in the house of Auchendrain. It was about eleven of the clock when I saw a young lad, dusty from head to foot, venture a little way within the castle yet, and stand as one that looks about him, not knowing where to turn. The court was void and silent, and the lad seemed distressed. But while he thus stood, James Muir and his father came down the turnpike stair and stepped, talking whisperingly together, out into the flagged court. It was John Muir the elder who first saw the lad and called him. I saw the boy put a letter into his hand, the which he opened carefully and read, passing it to his son, who read also. Then James Muir stepped back and called Thomas of Drummurky and Cloncaird. They came both of them, and the four bent their heads together over the writing. Then in a little John Muir closed the letter again as it had been, and gave it with certain charges to the boy. "'Saw you that letter, or knew you aught of its contents?' asked the Earl John. "'Nay,' said Marjorie Kennedy. "'My window was too far from them, and they spoke low and with privity among themselves. "'Then was my time. "'My Lord Bailey of Carrick,' said I, "'may it please you, it was I, Launcelot Kennedy of Kirioch, "'sometime squire to Sir Thomas of Coulain, who sent that letter. "'I sent it from Maybole by the hands of William Dalrymple, "'the lad whom the Lady Marjorie saw come within the castle yet of Auchendrain. "'The dominie stood forward.' And it was I, Robert Muir, schoolmaster in the town of Maybole, who wrote that letter. I wrote it as Launcelot Kennedy set me the words, for he is a man readier with the sword than the pen, though he hath some small skill even of that. But that day he was hot upon his game of golf, which I hold to be but a foolish sport which rapidly obscures the census, so I, having as is mine office pen in hand, wrote the letter for him. Also I sent one William Dalrymple, called for a nickname Willie of the Glegg Foot, with it to John Muir at his house of Auchendrain. I bear witness that after a space this boy came back with the story that he had found John Muir from home. But when we charged it upon him that the letter had been thumbed and opened, he grew confused and confessed that he had been compelled to bring back that message by the Muir himself, who had broken the seal and given it again to him, even as the Lady Marjorie has said. "'And what further proof do you offer of all this?' asked the Earl, bending forward with eagerness to catch the Dominie's words. The Dominie put his hand into the inner pocket of his coat and pulled out, among various pipe-reeds and scraps of writing, a letter which he kept carefully folded in a leathern case by itself. "'There is the thing itself. May it please your lordship to look upon it,' said he calmly. And as soon as he had said that, the Earl rose eagerly to see the famous missive which had brought about all this turmoil." There was also a stir among the folk that were gathered about, for all strained their eyes as if they could see that which was going on, and read the writing at that distance. "'It is a most notable proof,' said the Earl, "'and so we receive it. But can you not produce the lad William Dalrymple?' 
that can we not said the lady marjorie but i and i alone can tell you all the story of his death blacker even than the other because done to a young lad against whom even these cruel murderers could allege no quarrel and again there could be heard the sound of men settling down to deep attention throughout all the crowd at the diet of justiciaire and they even crowded in a little past the pennons so that the heralds had to beat upon the ground with the butts of their halberds as though to bruise their feet before they could force them to give back but james muir abode stupid-like and sullen before his judge while his accuser stood not three feet from him and told her story it was just when the brie of my father's death began to go abroad against the auchendrains so marjorie kennedy again took up her tale and when john muir the elder began to fear that the matter of the letter would be made manifest that i again saw the little lad william dalrymple one night i observed james muir leading him rudely by the neck into one of the barred cells which underlie the stables and to that place with his own hands he carried food and water once every day thereafter then came to visit john muir one sir robert montgomery the laird of skelmorley and with him they sent the lad on pretext to be a page at his house of loch ranza which he keeps for the king's hunting lodge on the isle of arran what befell there i cannot tell but it was not many weeks before william dalrymple was back again and this time they sent him as he told me afterwards to the lowlands of holland there to serve in the lord bucklook's regiment which first as a trumpeter and after as a soldier he did nevertheless being but young he wearied easily of the stress and chance of foreign war and so returned as before then when in spite of all the boy came back and it was told to john muir that william dalrymple was again in his native town he was neither to hold nor to bind he neither rested nor slept till he had again brought the lad to his house where he abode for some weeks but not so closely shut up as before so that it was often my chance to see him as he came and went about the court and even to converse with him but in a little while he vanished and from that time i saw him no more now the bitterness of my life and my desire to bring to justice the murderers of my father caused me at last to quit the house of auchendrain for now i held as i thought the strings which would draw mine enemies to their doom so upon a night i had it set to escape she that was my maid helping me with one other that was a body-servant of auchendrain's and my tire-woman's lover when i came out i found a pony waiting for me and it was my purpose to ride to the house of my kinsman the earl of cassillis but as i journeyed what was my great affrightment to come upon a company of two who rode some little way before me i could easily have turned bridle-rein and ridden another way but for something which came into my heart to make me follow on for in a trice i recognized the riders to be john muir and his son the father being wrapped in his great cloak of grey as is his custom and by this i knew him so i followed them but not very near and because my beast was a stable companion of their horses he went after of his own accord till by the first breaking touch of morn we came to a waste place upon the edge of the sea where in a secret dell i dismounted and tied my pony to a broom bush which shot out over a sandy hollow then yet more secretly i followed them across the sand hills and on the very edge on the links where the turf ceases underfoot and there is only sand john muir and his son this man before you waited for a while they stood listening and talking low together so that though i lay hidden behind a wind which overgrew a little turfy dell i could neither hear what was said nor yet by reason of the bareness of the sand dared i to venture nearer them but they waited not long before one came down to meet them over the turf bringing a lad with him 
Then immediately James Muir whistled a call, and the reply came back in like manner. "'You are late, James Bannatyne,' I heard John Muir, the elder, say. "'What has tagled you?' "'My sea-cloth is not so well accustomed to night-ploys as your cloak of grey,' the man growled as he came along sullenly enough. Then the three men of them walked a little apart, and came in their circuit very near to the hollow where I lay. While down on the shore the young lad stood and yawned with his hands in his pockets, like one that shivers and wishes he were back in bed. Nor had he, I am confident, even then any thought of evil. But the talk of the three, as I heard it in snatches, was black and bitter. The darkest counsel was that of the man who stands here, for James Muir said only, The dead are no tailpiets. And again, We have had enough of this silly, endless hiding and seeking work. Let the earth hide him, or the sea keep him, and be done with it. Now John Muir the Elder, and the man whom they called James Bannatyne, seemed at the least inclined to discuss milder counsels. Bannatyne was all for sending the lad over to Ireland, and John Muir listened as though he might be persuaded. Yet I knew his guile, for even when he stood with his back to his son, I saw him lift up his hand for a signal. And with that, and no more, James Muir rushed at the poor lad and overbore him to the ground. And there upon the sands of the seashore, this James Muir set his knee on the bairnie's breast, and with bloody hands choked and worried him till there was no life left in the lad. And his father also went and held the lad when he fought, his white reverend beard waggling in the wind, till at last the bairn lay still. But James Bannatyne stood by and clasped his hands as the boy tossed and struggled for his dear young life, for I think he was now mainly sorry that he had brought the lad to his death. Then I could stand the vileness no longer without protest, so I, Marjorie Kennedy, even though I well knew that they would certainly do the like to me, rose from my hiding-place in the sand-hollow and cried, Murderers, cease from your cruel work! God will come and judge you! Whereat John Muir came hastily to where I stood and gripped me. You have seen all, he said, then you must die. Let us see if God will come and help you. So I defied them to do their worst with me, for madness had come upon me at the sight of the monstrous cruelty to an innocent bairn, and for the time I cared not what should become of myself. Then I called to James Bannatyne, requiring of him to declare if he too were a murderer like the other fiends, and to call upon him to protect the innocent. We will settle all that in the one payment, mistress, said John Muir to me. So by force I was compelled to abide with them, John Muir the elder taking me cruelly by the arm, while he sent the others to cast into the sea the dead body of the lad. But even so oft as they threw him in, so often the waves cast him out again upon the shore, and that though there was a strong wind off the land, which blew the tops from the waves, and drave the sand and hissing streams into the sea. So when for the third time the boy had been tumbled upon the beach, John Muir bade Bannatyne bring his boat, saying that they would cast the loon afloat out in the deeps of the bay, so that the elderly wind might drive him to the coast of Ireland. After that they would return betimes to attend to other matters, by which I took him to mean that they would do that for me, which I had so lately seen them do for the young boy. And indeed I looked for no other mercy at their brutal hands. So in a little space James Bannatyne brought his boat, and with hard endeavour they launched her, and compelled me to accompany them. There was a strong wind from the east, and we were soon blown far out into the wild sea. There they cast the body of the lad overboard, and turned to make again for the shore. But though they all took oars and laboured in rowing, same Zbanatine taking twain, they could make nothing of it, but were rather worse than they had been before they started. 
So they began to be afraid, and I was right glad thereat, for I looked that the doom of the twice-guilty murderers should speedily come, and so the pain of this trial and my witnessing might have been spared. Now the muirs were the most fearful of the quick-risen storm, being as it were inland-bred. It was all that James Bannatyne could get them to do to sit still. Ye will wreck us all and send us red-hand before our maker, with the lad's body not cold in the water, and his spirit there to meet us at the judgment seat, said he. And with that John Muir rose in his place, and in despite of the swaying and plunging of the ship, into which the water came lashing, he cried out, The wraith, the wraith, it is following us, we are doomed. And lo, when I looked, I saw that which chilled me more than the whistling tempest. And if it feared me to the soul, judge ye what it must have been to the guilty men, whose hands were yet red with the blood of the innocent. For there, not thirty yards behind the boat, and following strongly in our wake, as a stark swimmer might do, now tumbling and leaping in the wash of the seas, and now lunging forward like a boat that is towed, was the murdered boy himself, and thus he followed with a smile on his face, or what looked like it in the uncertain light of the morning. So with that the men who rowed fell on their faces and could not look any more, though the prodigy followed us a good while. Only John Muir sat wrapped in his grey cloak, steering the boat, and I sat beside him. Little by little we came to the land, but as it had been sideways, having been driven by the wind to the other side of the wide bay. There we disembarked, and the muirs kept me close all that day in a place of strength on the seashore till it was night. They plied me to promise silence, for they believed that I would keep my word if once I pledged it. They offered me all that they had of honour or place in the country. There was nothing, they said, that was not within the power of their compassing. For since the death of Gilbert of Bargany, the king needed someone in Carrick strong enough to count spears with the Earl of Cassillis. But very steadfastly I withstood them, declaring that I should certainly reveal all their murder and treachery, both in the manner of the death of my father, and in that which I had seen done upon the sands to the young lad William Dalrymple. So finally seeing that they could prevail nothing, they went out and kept silent watch by the door till the even. Then as soon as it was dark they opened the lock and bade me come forth. And this I did, knowing for a certainty that my last hour was come. Yet my life had not been so pleasant to me as to be very greatly precious. So I followed them with no very ill will, nor yet greatly concerned. Then on the craggy top they gave me, for the sake of their house and good name, as they said, one more chance to swear silence. This I would not accept, and they, being startled with the approach of a boat upon the water, which steered towards our light, pinioned my arms, and thrusting something into my mouth forthwith threw me over the cliff into the sea. And as to the mode of my rescuing and standing here before the earl my cousin, young Launcelot Kennedy, my father's squire, can tell, and also my sister and Robert Muir of Maybole. End of chapter 44